So I'm here with Dennis Wong of Two Hour Aquarist. And uh, hey, Dennis, how are you? Hello, Jeff. How are you? Very good. Thanks. Uh, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure to be here. Yeah. So, you know, I wanted to bring you on as our uh, first guest ever on uh, the newly launched Aquarium Everything podcast. Uh, <laughs> because I just I wanted to say, man, that I, I uh, ad admire your brand. I admire your integrity. I really think that the the industry, the hobby, uh, mm -hmm. needs more leaders uh, like mm -hmm. you uh, because I think the product is absolutely fantastic and I, I look forward to discussing the product range in some detail with you on this podcast. All right. So uh, again, yeah. thanks very much for joining us. Uh, yeah. So for those that don't know you, maybe just give us a little brief background of just your uh, involvement in aquascaping and how you came to start the Two Hour Aquarius brand. Okay. Um, I started aquascaping, I guess, many years ago by now. And I think in Asia, it is common for many households to keep fish. Um, because fish is a symbol of good luck for um, the Chinese especially. Because mm -hmm. the word fish uh, rhymes with the word wealth. <laughs> yeah, and that's the reason why uh, so many Chinese people uh, see fish as a, a lucky pet to keep in their households. Um, from young, I was interested in um, like biology. Um, and as you keep fish, you think of ways to improve the environment. And I guess that that started the planter tank journey. And eventually the cultivation of the plants uh, overtook <laughs> the, the, the fish. Um, and I dove and I um, dove fully into the planted world. Um, I think back in the day, uh, like 15, uh, nearly 20 years ago, um, a lot of modern equipment was still expensive in Asia. So things like CO2 system was tremendously costly. I think that the hobby as a whole grew a lot in Asia when China began producing uh, cheaper equipment. So the, the, the rise of Chinese manufacturing, I think, actually spread the hobby. Uh, and made it much more accessible in terms of cost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, eventually, I think I specialized, I, or rather, I became more well known for uh, growing difficult and colorful plants. Um, I do do scaping, but um, I think that in recent years, uh, I've been more known for as a plant uh, specialist. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, I created a tour. A craze brand um, because I realized that even among the hobbies in Singapore, uh, among local hobbies, there wasn't a one-step solution to fertilizing your tank. So there were brands that sold two bottles. There were brands that sold like you need to buy six different bottles for each <laughs> element. Yeah, I'm painfully familiar with these six bottles. Yeah. Trust me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and while, while having six bottles allowed one to, you know, dose the individual levels, right. uh, I think that for most hobbyists, a general solution that worked uh, in one bottle would be a tremendous convenience. Yes. So I started by selling to a few shops uh, and eventually the, the brand grew and we exported to nearby countries and um, it's still a rather young brand. Uh, this two-hour career formerly is only about three years old. Okay. Yeah, but we have grown rapidly uh, within the time period. Yeah. 
Well, I have yeah. to say that uh, the you're absolutely right. The one bottle solution is uh, yes. it's a it's it's a big deal uh, as someone who has you know run an aquascaping gallery for many years. So at any one time, you know, there's 20, 30 aquascapes going. Um, mm. And then someone who's also uh, tried to grow the hobby, you know, in a, in a business sense, from a business foundation, uh, you encounter so many of these obstacles, or, you know, I call them like barriers mm. to entry for the new user. Yes. And yes. Uh, I'm, I'm fr being fresh from uh, using the Seachem uh, line, for example. Yes. Uh, and yes. side note, not to, not to speak poorly <sighs> of any brand. It's, it's their philosophy. It's their approach. It's, it's absolutely fine. But so many bottles with each thing broken yeah. down in, in, in individual dosing, even some of the testing that's required, especially like for, for the macros, oh, yeah. uh, to really get nitrogen and phosphorus uh, correct, yes. Requires a pretty yeah. frequent testing, et cetera. This is a yeah. huge, huge barrier to entry uh, for, especially for the beginner. So I just think it's so important that you figured out, you know, somehow how to get uh, it uh, all in one bottle and that it is so profoundly effective. Um, was this just a, was this research driven or just trial and error or? just really kind of it connecting was, the dots from a lot of experience. How did, how did you get there? Because I, I just think it's such an important thing. I think it's a mix of um, different experiences and connecting the dots. I think that, uh, for example, when you look at who writes about uh, fertilizing science, right. um, the Western Hemisphere, I call it the Tom Bar crowd, uh, right. does yeah. it quite differently from the Asia side crowd. And... I think that the, the, a lot of the Western side crowd has, at least among the people who um, are customized using their own like uh, salt solutions, uh, they tend to be a bit more heavy-handed. Right. <laughs> yeah, while Asia is on the other extreme end where um, due to cost reasons and other factors, they kind of try to do as little as possible. Yeah. Do you do you think that would you say that the idea is to keep the water column, the a, a more Asian philosophy, maybe a leaner water column? I, I like... think that yeah, I, I think that uh, that is generally the right idea, but lean in terms of which element, right, right. Also the ratios and um, which elements can you push to have a higher concentration that serves a greater variety of tanks. And which elements uh, one is more conservative with because it introduces less issues for the end user. So these are part of the uh, our two-hour queries, the APT ratio that makes it work well across a large range of tanks. Right. Yeah. That's that's what I'm just fascinated by the effectiveness <laughs> of the product on again a huge range of styles because uh, again mm -hmm. aquascaping covers a huge spectrum. Yes. of uh, compositional uh, philosophies and you know we, we may have a real mixture of plants with a huge range of, of nutrient needs and the ability yeah. to calibrate a single product just using you know a milliliter dropper <laughs> it's just oh, uh, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm just it 
You know, and, and the reason, again, I, I, I was excited to have you as even our, our first guest on the podcast was, uh, I just think it's something that is so, uh, it's almost too good to be true sometimes. And, <laughs> and it, you, you know, it made me aware of my own skepticism and sort of uh, a little a cynicism about mm. aquarium products in general. Oh, yes. Uh, and having tried them all, I mean, from going back to the ADA way uh, yes. and more recently, uh, trop the Tropica system, with the, they have the green and the red. And I thought, yeah. okay, well, here's an attempt by a company that is, you know, obviously so famous for growing aquatic mm. plants. So surely they know what yeah. they're doing and how to get the ratios right. And, you know, maybe it, it's just certain variables in my program. But mm -hmm. I struggled to really get it right consistently, even with the Tropica line. Um, mm -hmm. I did. I even had a particular problem that uh, just out of curiosity and uh, something I just wanted to ask you about because no okay. one has ever given me any kind of insight on, on this okay. thing, just wild okay. theories. But uh, specifically using the Tropica Green, which I believe is higher in a macros, uh, yes. More nitrogen oh. and phosphorus than the red, for example. Yeah. So yes. we developed in every layout, every new layout at, you know, around the three to four week period okay. would have no algae to speak of. Okay. There was no other algaes except okay. one kind. And it was a, a, a you know, a, long, a stringy, a long, looks like a hair algae, but thicker, you know, more of a texture to it. So it was a, mm. a filamentous algae that nothing would eat. I mean, you could put so many shrimps in, uh, Siamese algae there, and no, no algae eating animal, would, they, the shrimps would not touch this thing. I mean, it would just grow out of control with, you could have 90 centimeter tank with uh, 100 you know, mono shrimps and they're not eating this algae. And like I say, no other algae to speak of. Um, I came up with a theory over time that uh, Due to the supplier of our of most of our plants, because they were yeah. coming from a, a relatively small handful of we knew Asian nurseries, uh, that perhaps those plants were higher infested, infected, whatever, with the spore for this particular algae. Yeah, I think uh, that's like yeah, and yeah. that something about the 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 combination in the green tropica was. Uh, you know, activating this algae in particular. Yes. And I say that because we, it, it came in every layout, ones in the gallery, personal ones I did at home. I mean, this was every, it was coming up in, in customer layouts again, new layout yeah. using, a, using a Green Tropica. Yeah. Uh, and once I, I switched over to Seachem uh, at the time, this was before I was really even aware of your brand, uh, the problem went away. Now we had there was other other problems of just usage for me with a Seachem line, right? Yes. But um, the problem the problem vanished, uh, and so you know it's just something. It's I don't even know how useful of a question that is, but it speaks to sometimes these really odd things that can happen uh, in planted aquariums that. It, it just feels like you're doing everything right. You're using what you feel to be a trusted brand and you get into these odd problems. I suppose that could be some particular combination of elements or, or, or nutrients in the product that were activating 
this one particular algae. Does that sound like anything even plausible to you? I'm surprised at the consistency at which it spawns. Yeah. So like uh, Tom Bao often mentioned that um, when it comes to algae, to get it to spawn consistently itself is difficult. And right. that's why discovering the triggers on it is actually difficult. Right. Um, if you can get it to spawn every single setup with that, I mean, for one, your methods must be very consistent. Uh, <laughs> Which mine are. I mean, I follow, yeah. when I get a yeah. system or a program going, I'm extremely dedicated to, uh, very yeah. consistent, extremely, overly consistent, um, maddeningly consistent. So, um, I, I, yeah. I'm not sure though, off the, the top of my head. I, I, know, I, know, I know the formula very well. But uh, I'm not sure exactly why that would happen. And from my own experience with it, um, I have not seen such a consistent outcome of using that fertilizer. Mm. Right. It, it may be uh, something that is in combination with your area's water supply that throws certain ratios out of proportion. Sure, we do, use our, we do use RO water. Um, okay, okay. Yeah. And we were using, uh, you know, side note, we've, switched over to the uh apt uh sky oh okay yes and let me say man uh, you know i, I know I'm, I'm like a, a two-hour aquarius fanboy over here now but um and not even to just sort of blindly promote the product i mean i'm telling you as someone who runs an aquascape gallery uh it is a a another game-changing product uh, having used again a Seachem product, I mean I'm in the U.S., so obviously the distribution of a Seachem products is, uh, you know, it's widespread, is everywhere, um, and so we've just been using the uh, Equilibrium product for for years, oh, yes. and yes. oh my gosh, this thing is like I don't know what the composition yeah, is, but yes. you know we put it like into just like a plastic fish bag with some RO water and, you know, and to, just to kind of dissolve it. If you were just put it straight in the tank, it would be a disaster of just uh, 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 pebbles and white powder all over everything. Um, the refinement, just the, the, ref, the, the, the refined nature. I'm, I'm just in awe of the uh, APT Sky uh, remineralization product. Uh, it is like three shakes in the, in the bag of water, totally yeah. dissolved. And very clean into the aquarium, very minimal. You might get a very light, if you do a huge water change and you're using a lot of product, you may get a thin layer of a, a very fine powder, may settle over areas where the current isn't strong, et cetera. But, uh, you know, it's gone in, yeah, in yeah. a short amount of time. Uh, really wonderful product. Uh, and one I did want to ask you about specifically as far okay. as... Uh, and I, I, as as many people know, and I'm saying all the time, and it's been to my sort of, uh, it, it's been something that's held me back in aquascaping over the years. And I'm after all these years, I'm really just now embracing. But that's uh, numbers, you know, and not chasing numbers, wow. but understanding numbers. Um, and then sometimes the, the the actual composition of things I'm using. You know, I was looking for someone to say, just put this much in, and you know, you're, everything's going to be great. And as you know, that can get you close, but that's not the total picture. So uh, just out of some of this is just, again, my own curiosity. It's part of the reason why I wanted to set up this format. Uh, I have so many questions for people in the hobby that uh, get to indulge my own interest. But uh, so does the APT Sky product contain 
these uh, amounts of iron and potassium, like uh, I believe the equilibrium does? And if so, is the idea to use it in conjunction with the APT, you know, uh, two or three, uh, in order to, to strike that balance? Or what if people are mixing sky with a different vert or okay. still using it, you know, APT two or three yeah. with the, uh, yeah. or one and three, sorry, with um, uh, equilibrium or some other remineralization product, specifically in reference to that iron and potassium. Okay, for APT Sky, we actually did not include uh, potassium salt inside the mix because we wanted it as a pure GH booster. Okay. Uh, so, for example, um, for people that keep very sensitive stream, you can use it for the high-grade CRS and your work because of its purity. Okay. Um, and potassium is a salt that changes the TDS. The potassium salt changes the TDS level a bit more than calcium magnesium salts. So, for example, if you are you, you if you are a salty stream user, our numbers will match that more closely than let's say equilibrium. Um, and for very sensitive plant species, you can also overdose on potassium. Okay. Okay. Because yeah. there's yeah. A, there's so, this this the you know this is part of like mm -hmm. aquarium mythology to me. I think sometimes are these yeah. notions that you you hear it all the time that potassium. Oh, put all you want. It, it, it's very yeah. hard to overdose. It doesn't matter. No, it's true. It is true for 97, for, it's true for probably 98 or 99 percent of species. But I can tell you the exact species that will be affected by it. Okay. Uh, what what, what Amania, species are especially sen sensitive? Uh, Amania. Okay. Amania, uh, Amania. If you have a lot of potassium, but your calcium and magnesium levels are lower, it's easy to get the tip stunting. Okay. Uh, same for the picky Macandra species, like your mini Macandras and variegated Macandra. Interesting. Okay. Because yeah. those are ones I, I think I've had, I've struggled with in the past. Um, yeah. So, and that, so that could be yeah. from, again, you're using an equilibrium, which is a high oh, yeah, potassium, okay. and then you're dosing yeah. uh, supplemental potassium in some kind yeah. of way and yes. getting too high. So interesting. I, I think that a lot of the GH booster brands, they add potassium to actually increase the solubility of the mix because they did not pick the correct uh, chemicals for the calcium and magnesium salts. Sure. Um, I mean, equilibrium, even with so much potassium, it is still not very soluble. Um, <laughs> but um, the the plus side of not having potassium or um, not of not having potassium salts is that you get a much concentrated GH salt. That means that if you are looking to remineralize just the calcium and magnesium portion, um, you need smaller amounts. Okay. Yeah, and most fertilizers overcompensate on potassium already. So unless you're someone that is totally not using uh, liquid fertilizer at all in your tank, I don't think that potassium is necessary in a GH booster. Okay. Yeah, so that's the reasoning behind that thinking. And if you do not have potassium in your GH booster, uh, for certain species, you can also have a lot more GH without tweaking the potassium level at all. Okay. Um, yeah. So if we're uh, using, if safe to say, if we're using APT Sky for our, our remineralization or our GH boosting, yes. and we're, we're using the APT liquids, then yes. this is uh, something where you've sought to have a, just a, an inherent balance in the uh, yes, but, for, for the widest range of plants. Yes, um, 
but you can also use the APD Sky with any other liquid fertilizer and it'll be fine. Okay. Uh, whereas because it's you, really just affecting a GH, it's not having, yes, yeah. it's not playing yeah. with with other things that yeah. we'll get from yeah. other liquids or products yeah. so much. Yeah. So we wanted to pinpoint that variable that lets be, and let people adjust that uh, independently of um, other parameters. Okay, and that's yeah. probably is the ex exclusion of the potassium have something to do with what makes it so wonderfully refined and, and uh, dissolving so quickly? Is that a... No, I, I don't think so. Because okay. uh, potassium salts are actually much easier to dissolve than calcium salts, especially. Calcium salts are the hardest uh, salts to dissolve well. Okay. Is that what's in the equilibrium that's got me like uh, shaking for five minutes and then letting it settle yes. in the corner and squeezing and trying to, trying to mash it yeah. up and shaking some um, more and then still getting a layer of uh, little white pebbles all <laughs> over the tank? <laughs> This is just a there different, are, obviously just a different blend that they're using. I sense that their source chemicals are, they may not have gotten the exact, uh, like granularity, right? right. Yeah. Because it's over the year, I've used it so long and, so, you know, this is like shaking this bag of remineralization yeah. powder as a part of my daily existence. Um, <laughs> and so, <laughs> so I'm, re I'm like painfully familiar with these variables. Then you know, and it would change. Some some batches would be yeah, easier yeah, dissolving, and, and some would be really just crazy. Like you're just you could never yes. get it all dissolved. Uh, yes. It would need to just dissipate in the aquarium. But anyway, um, so no, that's just yet another. Uh, you know, it sounds like a small detail, but the fact that that the product dissolves so easily. These are again, and I I don't know if though if that's just how the product played out in terms of your uh, composition and the, the elements you chose. But, you know, these are the fact that I can have one bottle in a milliliter dropper and really calibrate my dosing very easily uh, to, to get optimal growth. I mean, I'm just astounded by the difference. Um, and then in terms of really encouraging, we, we really push for the use of, uh, you know, remineralized RO water these days, I used to say, oh, you know, tap is fine. We really encourage it. And, and I'm, I'm actually working on some different programs to make access to, to RO water for customers, et cetera, you know, just much more convenient. But the fact that we can now have a product, at least in our market, maybe these things have been present in other markets a long time, but for especially the new hobbyist, you know, mm -hmm. this kinds of things I'm, I'm going to measure out. I encourage the use of a inexpensive gram scale uh, just to really calibrate it. We do, we do the, the calculation based on the amount of water changed and, mm -hmm. but that we can so easily and quickly dissolve it, pour it in the tank, yeah. done. It clears up quickly. You know, th these are things that I, I, you know, I would even, I would love to, I think it's useful even in, in your, in your marketing, et cetera, uh, mm -hmm. to point to those sorts of characteristics of the products uh, because it has made a just a world of difference. I mean, we, we have far more people, you know, coming in, interested aquascaping, never done it before, et cetera, uh, that when I can just show them this bottle, this powder, it's, it's yeah, really important. That. I mean, it's really, these, these are the real things for all of the talk about how to grow the hobby and uh, getting more people into it, all of which we know is essential for so many reasons. Um, these are, what you've, what you've created is, is, this is a very effective, it's a very important 
uh, thing because the all of the little nuances and subtleties that I think more uh, advanced hobbyist experienced people's been doing in a while, etc. Uh, they start you. You just get used to these variables that are you know. You just get used to it, and you accept. Well, you know, this doesn't dissolve very good, but I have a little trick. Or you're always you're hacking things, or you've yes. developed a feel. You know, you have a feel now for things, and you know that can take so much time to develop. And so to be able to skip that and get people just to the part where they're uh, able to come home and have a simple, enjoyable experience with with the layout is, I mean, isn't that really the ultimate yeah. goal for most people at the end of the day? And I always yeah. joke, you, no one got an aquarium so that they could uh, yeah, tell their friends, that, hey, come over, I've got this new pump over here. You really should come check it out. You know, right. nobody wants a pump. Nobody, <laughs> you've got plenty of lights in your house. Nobody wants any more lights. You know, you want an aquarium for the enjoyment of that underwater scene. And your products are just, uh, to me, just a very, very important step. And as someone, again, who's suffered through every major product line out there trying to get it right, um, I, I've had an interesting theory, too, that, that maybe you'd have some insight on. I'm almost certain you would. Okay. But on the uh, ADA approach specifically, so, I mean, I was ADA distributor for about 10 years. Um, and so, of course, we're trying to use uh, the Brighty K, step one, yeah. two, three, et cetera. And honestly, uh, this product's never, they just weren't consistent. In some layouts, they worked very well. In some, yeah. they didn't. I found it difficult to sort of get the dosing right. And I had a theory that uh, it's that those products were developed so specifically in Japan, in the Japanese market with the Japanese water. And I know yeah. from many trips to, to Nature Aquarium Gallery at ADA headquarters that they're using, you know, the tap water there is... Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. It's already great for aquatic plants. It's no wonder aquascaping, uh, this is yeah. its, its, its uh, origin country, right? But, um, and perhaps the liquids in particular, in conjunction with the aqua soil, of course, but uh, that they're really sort of calibrated or optimized for the Japanese water condition. So even if you were to take RO water and try to recreate the, the numbers as accurately as you could, as you know, you know, water from the earth in a given yeah. region or part of it is going to have a unique properties and, and molecular structures and things that sim no, no external product can simulate. Um, and I just wonder because clearly it works so well for them, but I've seen a lot of people outside of Japan struggle. Uh, do, you, do you have any thoughts on that? I, I think that you are quite accurate on that, I suspect as well. Um, but there are two angles to this. One is that um, because we are not on Japanese social media, you actually don't see the failures that come out of that system. Okay. Yeah. So it's not true that everyone has an easy time with ADA in Japan because now uh, Toa Curry sells to Japan. Right. And people that have issues growing certain plants with the ADA system use our system there instead. Uh, and they see the difference significantly. Um, and... Uh, I think that there's also a very significant uh, difference in approach. Um, 
this the again the Asia side versus uh, the Western block. I think for a lot of the Japanese or um, Asian side tanks, uh, people approach growth a bit more slowly. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that the ADA system is tremendously dependent on the soil for some of the key nutrients, such as nitrogen. Um, mm-hmm. If you are okay to grow the tank slowly, this means that you use a bit less light and even less CO2. You do not uh, outrun your fertilization regime. Whereas, uh, I would say that for more power users or for people who want to complete skips quickly, uh, or are more impatient to see the very robust growth straight away. So, you know, you pump in more CO2, more light. Um, then, like you say, the other regime that becomes inconsistent is, is kind of um, on the edge, whether they can deliver or not. Yeah. I see. I, I think the, the, pro, the pro of the other system uh, being soil dependent is that it's actually quite smart. Like, I do think that uh, shifting certain elements into the soil rather than having it in the water column is more stable. So uh, I like to nitrogen feed my plants through the soil as well. Um, uh, but um, I think such setups work best when it's a fresh setup. So when your soil is new and the old other soil was powerful, the new other soil is weaker as well. So already we see that uh, the, the uh, if you use just the, the new other soil with their existing systems, the results are one level again lower than if you have the old other soil. Yeah, yeah. I've noticed they, yeah, they're including the little uh, the, the the Amazonia two with the the substrate booster yeah. pellets, yeah. which yes. I've taken some layouts down. They were quite you know they've been running quite a while with that, and I, I maybe they're supposed to be that way. But when we remove the substrate, those pellets are still intact. Yeah. I mean they haven't disintegrated. I'm kind of going okay. I mean. You know, it's ADA, so I have a tendency to just to, to trust them. I mean, at least as far as they they more or less invented the thing. So I just tend yeah. to go, well, if they're adding this, it's doing what it's supposed to do. Are those just a very, very slow release? I mean, almost to the point of being... Uh... I, I'm not examining it in depth, actually. So okay. I don't know. Yeah. I was just surprised um, that after so long they were still hard as a rock and totally intact it's something one imagines breaking down um but no that's that's interesting point is in it's it is is this i feel like i know the answer but i'm always looking for confirmations on certain things that's because i feel like you know i can't remember where i heard this thing and that makes me nervous sometimes that i'm just going with things that get said about yeah, aquariums yeah. in general that yeah. become part of a narrative that we we can't even remember where we heard it but yeah. it, it i heard this thing for years that well back when at least back when aquascape contest tanks maybe had actually had red plants or stems in them which oh, they yeah. barely do yeah. anymore but that it would be a common practice for a competitive scaper to deprive the water column of nitrogen in order to bring uh, out more red in plants oh it is absolutely true okay yeah um so, i think it's a practice so on one hand the nitrogen is driving the growth but on the other hand it's restriction will sort of is this like a stress response that's making it more red or is just a natural outcome of reduced nitrogen i think it, it, it delays the, the production of chlorophyll okay 
Yeah. Um, but not for all species. It works for a handful of species. And uh, actually on our website, we've got the exact list of what it works with and what it doesn't work with. Uh, the species that it works the most obviously with is uh, Rotala rotundifolia. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that one almost requires nitrate limitation if you want the extremely deep rigs. Okay. Um, what would be, oh, so, what's the timing of that? Like what, when, when, would, when would one, is it hard to see? Does it just vary from tank to tank? No, so there's a bit more complexity to it as well. Okay. <laughs> hard to say, okay, to... two weeks before the photo, you need to stop yes. putting, it, does, it, it would be more based on your particular yes. system, et cetera. Yeah. Would you consider oh, this no, just yeah. a, is this a trick? I mean, is this just a tr- uh, sort of a hack of sorts to get the it's color? It's not a hack. So, so my, my, my tanks are permanently run with low nitrogen in the water column. Oh, okay, example. okay. But there's a, there's a bit more complexity to it um, because nitrogen is not just nitrogen. Uh, feeding your plant nitrates versus ammoniacal nitrogen, whether through the root zone or water column, has a slightly different effect. Um, so let me know how to put this. Uh, Plants can store nitrate in their cells for future use, but plants cannot store ammonia because ammonia is toxic. However, uh, plants, uh, to retrieve the nitrate, to use it as tissue, it actually has to reduce the nitrate back to ammoniacal form. Uh, Then that process is energy intensive. So when you read plant, plant growth studies of the terrestrial world, your plants always grow the fastest when fed with a mix of ammoniacal nitrogen and nitrate nitrogen. Okay. The plant can store some of the nitrate for future use, but at the point of growth, if it has access to ammoniacal nitrogen, it gets a significant boost in growth. So to get um, the nitrate limitation redness, you actually uh, not only have to deprive the water of nitrogen, but it is best to also have a little bit of ammoniacal nitrogen available either in the soil uh, or the water column, which is more risky. But uh, aqua soils have that. Uh, that gives the plant uh, the impetus to boost its growth rate. And yet when it tries to run, it is held back by the lack of nitrate nitrogen. And that will truly bring out the rates. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So, okay. for, so for Ada's case, uh, they have the perfect uh, combination. They have a very, um, they have soils that are uh, very high in ammonia. Or at least the old other soil did. Right. Uh, and yeah, and another interesting uh, uh, angle is that nitrates don't bind well to soil particles, uh, but ammonia does. So most of your aqua soils, if they contain nitrogen, it will be in the ammonia format. Um, and while the external ammonia of the grains are quickly oxidized or used up by plants, uh, the deeper inside the grains, um, the ammonia can so-called uh, stay, stay in there, and plant roots can still reach it over time. Mm. Um, the combination of using very lean water column uh, nitrate and yet having uh, some ammonia in the soil gives the plant the ability to still grow at a decent speed. But as it tries to grow, uh, heat, the bricks start to come because there is no uh, nitrate, nitrogen available. So that combination is very good for nitrate limiting. Once you stop dosing nitrate in the water column, day by day your plants get greater for those species. Wow, fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> okay, now I understand very clearly. So if yeah. you were going to reduce, if you're using the uh, the APT product, then okay. and you wanted to do this, and you've been using yes. the the number three, uh, yeah. 
which by the way, before I forget, what what happened to number two? <laughs> we go from a one to three. <laughs> Where's the number two? <laughs> we we left a bit of space in case we won like um, Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Very wise, very yeah. wise. So but if so if you took away how would or do you go to just dosing number one for this time you want to redu- you want to take away the nitrogen? Are you just going to dose with a one for that period of time? Okay. If I, oh, let's so say I'm trying to bring of, out reds for a photo or something. So there's a bit of um, complexity involved also. Right. Uh, so from a baseline angle, APT3 is by default kind of nitrate limiting because in a ratio compared to the amount of potassium and phosphorus or iron uh, present, the amount of nitrogen uh, is actually lower. Okay. So, for example, in a unit of plant mass, nitrogen usually makes up of, uh, let's say, 50 or 60% of the dry mass that is not carbon, um, then followed by potassium and uh, phosphorus. So, actually, most plants uh, are made out of, if you remove carbon, the next most element is actually nitrogen. So, if you think about it that way, for every unit of nitrogen that a plant uses, it uses one unit, uh, less than one unit of potassium, it uses less than one unit of phosphorus. So if you have a fertilizer that has an inverted ratio where I have three units of phosphorus but one unit of nitrogen, I have three units of uh, potassium but only one unit of nitrogen, nitrogen will always be the one that is a bit more limited. So APTE has this, uh, I would say, both courageous and weird ratio that many brands uh, may not experiment with where the element that is most used by plants is actually at a low level, so our, our nitrogen level is not that high in, in relation to the amount of potassium and uh, phosphorus we have. So it is naturally nitrate limiting in that sense. Oh. That's one angle. Okay. Um, the, the, the next angle is, it depends on how densely your, your planter tank is. If you have a very dense tank, um, you can yeah, you can have uh, the nitrate levels bottom out consistently. So that is where you... Um, um, the nitrate limited species would uh, start showing the rates even with regular dosing. Uh, then the other method that we talked about is you can either dose less um, because it does contain enough of the other elements that a half dose will work for many things. So that was also taken into account in part of the design. Uh, or you can default to the APD0, which has no uh, nitrates at all. So that's the more extreme solution. Okay. And then I, I'm forgetting because I'm I'm actually just now using it on on a new layout for the first time myself. But the the E, the APTE. Yeah. So if yes. we really wanted to go heavy with yes. with uh, the macros, that's actually yeah. the that's actually where we should be. Where yeah. in my interpretation of the of the APT three is yes. going to be, you know, we definitely have soil CO two, yeah. prob- probably some variety of plants. Um, yes. This is kind of yeah. the covering the biggest. Uh, spectrum of possibilities of aquascaping yeah. Yeah. and then the one yeah. is again going to be generally generally a non-co2 situation perhaps or very low metabolism epiphytes and this sort of thing i mean that's been our approach to it anyway um uh, I, I think that one was the we designed it also for tanks where there's a lot of livestock where you have so much n and p through the fish waste ah okay okay yeah. all right that makes sense that makes sense yeah is the and then uh, another just personal burning question I had is uh, is the idea in a new layout? Let's say let's assume there is a soil CO two and some variety of plants sufficient lighting. 
is the idea to start and let let's just assume ADA Aquasoil. Uh, okay. Newer version, Amazonia two, whichever we're kind of the most recent things, uh, is the idea to use APT one yes. for an initial dosing and then yep. phase over to say three long term. Would that be a, a normal sequence to follow? Yeah, I I think that that is the easiest sequence for most people. Okay, it is the one with the lowest risk. Um, and it, it allows the plant to settle in without triggering uh, any algae. I think that it's a very safe approach. Okay. But if you are growing the most sensitive of plants early on, then that slight difference might make uh, an impact. Okay. Yeah. I'm so, seeing, yes. Oh, I'm seeing yeah. more because when you, when you speak of like sensitive plants, I, I'm, I am seeing more uh, recently, mostly I think because of tissue culture and now these plants can mm. actually be shipped because they were problematic yes. for shipping yes. in the past is why we, we they were only traded amongst hobbyists, et cetera. But some of the Eriocalons, yes. for example, yes. uh, that, you know, I my no, my notion of those plants, the taninas, et cetera, were like, oh, wow, man, mm. just avoid these things. They're, they're really ah, going to be ah, too, ah. too, unless you're into growing plants. But if you're aquascaping, yes. you know, this can be, if they work, they're a beautiful addition to the scapes composition. Yes. But if they're... Uh, it, it, they're just, just so unpredictable, but um, so is, are, is that a case where again you'd want to consider treating those? Pl- In other words, the more standard plants, let's just say things we all know and work with regularly. Do we do we want to try and maybe calibrate our dosing to the? let's just say the, the harder to keep plants. I mean, we're looking to kind of cater to them more so than the, because the other plants okay. will adapt. They're, yeah. they, they're less worried about what's in the water. They're just trying to live. Whereas the sensitive plant needs a special attention. Oh, yes, yes. But uh, I think that the, the number of those species that require the extra boost is really small and um, Many of the so-called difficult species, they are not actually difficult in terms of fertilization. They are difficult in terms of um, carbon dioxide, the amount of light you have. Um, whether, like for Eurocolons, I think the easiest way to grow them is to root feed them. Okay. Yeah. So if you have a good root tap or you have... Um, APT jazz, jazz, for example. We're, oh, we're yes, really excited yes, yes. about the jazz, just started using yeah. it. And yeah, looks, looks yeah. I'm sure it's... You've done this thing, Dennis, where now you've got intense credibility. Let me just say, like, you know, we, you come out with a product and we're like, oh, it works. You know, and that's a, wow, that's, congratulations on that, by the way. That's a very rare situation in aquarium products and industry uh, to have a new product come out and we just inherently go, I already, I'm already certain it works as opposed to being sort of certain it doesn't work. And if it does happen to work, okay, great, it's a bonus. But because I have a vote of no confidence in so many products that anyway, I don't mean to digress. But like, I was very excited to see a, a proper substrate uh, fertilization tab. But so you think for the Eurocalons, even early on uh, in a new soil, etc., sooner than we would normally use substrate fertilization, it's fine hitting those with hit, hitting those with a product like APT Jazz. Uh, yes. Right at the base of the plant is uh, would be beneficial. Yes, um, but okay. So uh, Eurocolon is one category because I think that Eurocolons 
if you root feed them and you have strong enough light and CO2, they, they work quite predictably. But there are other species, for example, you, you've heard of the Hygophilia spichai. Yes, yes. Yeah. I've never been, so, I've had had yeah. mixed mixed uh, experiences with that one, mixed success. Um, so that plant, for example, is not demanding in fertilization. However, it's demanding in terms of light and carbon dioxide level, and as well as the overall stability of the location that it is grown. So it needs a clear space without competition. Mm-hmm. Um, with gentle flow and a lot of light and carbon outside and because it's a slow grower it needs to sit there for months to, to get mass okay. so that's difficult on another angle it's, it's actually not picky in terms of birds okay yeah. so it's 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 um i i guess i was tending to think in terms of plants like that mm-hmm. it's all about the ferts but yeah and I'm probably no. just giving sort of, I'm doing sort of a baseline CO2 amount. You know, I'm not really okay. thinking, okay, let me, let me drive it a little harder given those okay. kinds of species. So no, that's, that's, that's very interesting. Actually, I can see that. Yeah, being... there, are, yeah. there are a few species. The red Eurocolon is one of them. Uh, SP Chai is the other. And also the, this plant called the blood vomit. I think you have seen it because sure. it's been around yeah. a long time. Right. Yeah. So. I think that all three of these, they require closer to 40 to 50 ppm of CO2 to grow well. Okay. Yeah, so Noted. 30 will not cut it. <laughs> right. And yeah. is that a case where, uh, I guess that additional CO2 for, you know, your standard stems and other plants oh, yes, you may yeah. have in there, etc. cetera, yeah. Uh, yeah. given they're in a proper shaded area, for example, uh, Bucephalandra, is not going to necessarily yeah. mind higher CO2 that they're more, yeah. they don't want to get yeah. too much light on them. Is mostly what I find. Um, it would, so I, driving yeah, I, CO2 to grow these specific plants is generally, we could say generally not going to be detrimental to our other species. Yeah. The, the main concern is uh, livestock. Okay. Right. Of course. Hello. Did I lose you there? Did you? Did we lose it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are back. It's back. Okay, a little like up there. Yeah. We'll let, we'll edit that out. But um, no, that's that's. I think the main yeah, concern is uh, livestock. Yeah, not not the plants. The plants are fine unless you want to grow certain plants more slowly. Okay. Yeah, because with higher CO two, everything uh, is a bit speeded up. Is it safe to say that that a lot of plants will adapt to a slightly more subdued, lower lighting? level and that we can i mean are we maybe pushing things with the brightness of the light uh a little too because you know this is obviously gets people into yeah. trouble with algae um, oh, yes, and, yes. and it's why i've been a proponent of you know what i call you know no, no one else has really adopted this term yet as a formal sort of approach or philosophy or scaping style uh but i'm calling it greening and my greening is when i do no soil generally okay. more intense hardscape and okay, yeah. only epiphytes. And so uh, okay, this, okay. This, this approach is actually, this has become a very, very popular with us, so much so that it's, we are re, reintroducing the option of larger scale, you know, fully planted uh, aquariums for our custom installation clients. We had sort of gotten away from that because for, in terms of the ongoing maintenance and all the variables involved in a traditional, you know, soil, many species. We just found yeah. for most 
of our custom installation and service clients where we're maintaining the aquarium, you know, all those things that you need to have sort of a daily attention on the aquarium, especially yeah. when it's new, very yes. hard to manage. Um, it worked yes. back when I did all of them personally, but over yeah. time that became just less and less practical. Mm-hmm. But the we've really uh, dialed in this, you know, again, I, just to give it some distinction in terms of its ver- uh, characteristics, I've just coined yeah. this term greening because I don't feel like I'm, I'm not planting anything in a soil. Yeah. Not, there's no yeah. roots going in anything. It's all epiphytes, you know, attached yes. to a hardscape, but the kind of the advent of that style and how, how we've gotten it down is really opening up. We actually have three rather, you know, huge, uh, custom installation aquariums mm-hmm. going in. That'll be that style. We had kind of just been doing aquascaping mostly in the, uh, in the retail space in the store. Um, so, and again, the APT products have real just the level of calibration we're able to get has really um it's just been a game changer it's opened up so many new possibilities because again the you know trying to get this kind of dosing is something many a client who knows nothing about plants we can just say oh this many mils per day probably go keep it on on the lighter side of things and they'll be just fine whereas again if i was trying to give them you know, all this bottles of a Seachem range and they're putting this and that. I mean, this is obviously madness. Or you're trying to just dose once per week when mm-hmm. you're there for service, et cetera. It's just not ideal. But um, yeah. Yeah. so light control is obviously another thing that's been hugely mm-hmm. beneficial in the style. As you know, most epiphytes are going to be just great with a more subdued yeah. lighting. And then hence, we're getting less algae problems yeah, on the hardscape, et cetera. Um, so is that a case where, you know, let's assume no soil, very Mm -hmm. intense hardscape, uh, you know, more attention on the hardscape for the wow factor. And then we're just going to work with our different Anubias, Bucephalandras, ferns. Um, if we're going to have CO2, then I start to include mosses. I I tend Mm. to avoid mosses in a no CO2, uh, low tech. Only because I find they grow kind of a little more stringy, kind of wild. Yes, you don't yes, get the yes. nice, tight, you know, dense yeah. growth on the driftwood. So yes. we just is. I always tell people the moss is not going to die without a CO two, but it but may not last. grow how you're imagining it. Very idyllic on the, on the yes. woods and everything. Yes. Uh, so in that situation, are, we're definitely already using a more subdued lighting. Um, yeah. Uh, I I do think that for lighting, uh, why lights have and lights today are much more powerful than like yes. every other year that passes the light get more powerful. Yes. But I think that this is because of competition among light manufacturers to show that for per unit there's more value if you buy my light kind of thing. Right. Um, I think that for people that are looking for very intense color and very dense bushes. Uh, it is true that having more light helps, right. but there's a huge downside to, in terms of uh, it, it's much easier to trigger LG and whatnot. Um, and I think that it is true that most newbies make the mistake of um, basically over using too much light in their tank when they, they first start out. Okay. Um, so the, the tank goes into, I call it the boom bus cycle, where things are good for a period of time. I'm going to steal that term from you, by the way. I like that. That's yes, boom bust. Yeah. 
Yeah. And the biggest downside of that is that it wears out the hobbyists. So these people tend to quit after like a year or so because um, the regime of maintaining such a high maintenance tank wears them down. Yeah. I, I use a lot of light myself. So my tank is about uh, 250 to 300 par on the substrate. But are those, are those because... ADA, ADA lights I see there? No, these are a China copy of other lights, but they okay. make it better. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I believe it. I believe it. Yeah. Do you is that kind of is that your sort of your favorite light right now? Do you have a favorite or kind of a go to light? Okay. I I don't think that this is. Um. I don't think that this is uh, usable by the retail market because the app is so shitty. Okay. But yeah. I like the spectrum. I like the, the the spectrum. The exact diodes they choose for the colors and stuff. So it gives a uh, very nice saturation, uh, without. Uh, oh, giving yeah. a proper yeah. to the tank. Yeah. But the app is just, I, I see this all the time. The app is just, yeah. some of these apps, I'm is... like, you know, I don't know anything about writing code or make, you know, making an app, but, you know, I certainly know a good, you know, UX when I see, when I see it. Um, and I'm, I, I guess it's hard because yes. some of them are so terrible. I'm yes. like, really? Was it that you couldn't have, you know, just... <laughs> From an intuitive standpoint, I'm just going, wow, this uh, this is awful, and it could, seems like it could have been better so much more easily. Uh, we use are using a lot of the Chihiros, uh, the Vivid, 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 Vivid yeah. Two or Vivid RGB, um, yes. which has been great. But, it's at a yeah. great price point. It has yeah. a, a yeah, yeah. very nice controllability. The app is is pretty good. It's got a yeah. few quirks yeah. that once you figure it out, they they seem to be working on improving it. Um, and yeah. uh, overall, I consider you know the app is 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 pretty yeah. good. I I do have an issue right now. It's I have dozens of them in the gallery, but there's uh, there's three that do this thing. After they go off, they stay like like a red. Yeah. Yes. So one channel I can't get is it to turn good. off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe if I I might need I haven't tried a hard restart. Maybe if I do a hard unplug it and let it sit for a minute. And in, then... in some cases, it's not cheap. Um, if you complain to the Chiros in the mainland, sometimes they do send you replacement chips, but you have to change the chip yourself. That's doable, so that, in other words. Okay, I didn't know that. That's doable, yeah. Okay. You can okay. Google. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But um, depending on which generation the light is produced, they have these small inconsistencies. Um, yeah, but it does come at a good power to cost ratio. Sure. Yeah. I, I find that they are actually a bit too powerful for most people. You've so kind of really, you end up really toning them down a lot. I mean, I've yeah. almost never used yeah. them at that full power. It's just, uh, it is, yes. it is just too much. But it's kind of like you know having a car with a with a with a with yes. your engine. It's like, yeah. well, the power yeah. is there. You're not, you know, yeah. it's nice to know that you have it. Yeah. Um, but but many hobbies will end up crashing because of that because they will use it like. Uh, since I bought an expensive light, I'm going to use it at full power. Yes, you've yeah. got. I, I even went through that. I thought, well, <laughs> I'm just going to do epiphytes in this tank. I, I shouldn't even use this light. And I'm like, no, that's crazy. You know, it's it's still. I love the color. It's. I'm just going to tone it down. It's okay. You're not wasting the light by no, not using yeah. it at 100 percent everything all the time. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's that's true. Um, I did have just a couple other kind of just. I think kind of rapid fire, just kind of faster questions okay. uh, too. Okay. Um, okay. One of which is, and I think 
I think I think I've had Corey, uh, Corey from Aquarium Design Group, Corey Hopkins, many of you may know, ask you some of these questions sort of like, can you ask Dennis this thing? Because I'm just curious oh, about sure. it. But okay. Uh, okay. just to get it directly from you, um, yes. often I'm doing my water changes very late in the day, pretty close to okay. lights off. Yeah. Um, so in terms of, I don't really see any negatives to that, but it just always made me wonder if I'm, if there was a, if that was in some way a poor strategy. And if I do the water change and the lights is, are going off in, you know, 10 minutes or yeah. so I finish up should one, is it bad to, is there any harm in doing it near lights off? Number two, should I go ahead and dose some APT three, one, whichever I'm using, whatever, okay. even though the lights are about to go off or should I wait till the next day to put it in after the water change? Okay. Uh, with regards to the water change question, actually there is a very exact answer for that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The best time for a water change is actually before the lights come on. Um, because okay. as you drop the water level of your tank, assuming you drop it enough and your plants are exposed to air, they are, the air sacs actually get filled with uh, oxygen and carbon dioxide. So it gives an immediate boost to photosynthesis in the light, in the in your light window that comes immediately. Okay. And according to Bar, the impact is measurable. That means it is significant. Aha. Yeah. I, I believe yeah. at the ADA gallery that they, they tend to do water changes much earlier in the day. You know, this is kind of a standard. Also, right. Yeah. So kind of right before the if you are the guy that is aiming to optimize every single thing in your life. That would be it. I, I don't, I don't, but okay. uh, Bar does that. Bar does that uh, consciously. Like sure. he water changes twice a week uh, before the lights come on. And he says that during that growth window for that day, the plants grow a bit more. Um, I, I do believe that. I do believe that. They pull more for the window if you have uh, air exposure uh, just before. Uh, with regards to dosing, I think that the average matters more than the the... The, the exact timing, unless you are keeping very again the extremely sense uh, picky species. The one species that you will see a difference is uh, Lapiga pantanal. If you have um, available ammonical nitrogen, uh, whether is it through the soil or in the water column, uh, at the start of the light window, the plant reddens through the day a bit more than if you um, did not time your dosing. So. But that's the only plant that I can think of where um, the reaction is can be seen on the day itself. The rest of the stuff, I'll say that if averagely you are dosing, it shouldn't. The timing is not something you should worry about. Okay. Yeah. But, but again, an op optimal. It's good to know what it is anyway. Yeah. Would, 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 yeah based you can on some sort of science, would yeah. be yeah. just prior to the lights coming on. Yes. Uh, I've well, been doing it completely yeah. backwards then, but. Um, you know, things still work, but, but, you know, I do having so many layouts in a room at once, obviously you gain, you know, unique experiences and, and observations. Yes. And I definitely have a thing where some layouts just don't, they're struggling a lot more, even all of the things being equal, they can be very similar mm -hmm. to another one in terms yes. of, uh, yes. plant species and, and conditions. And this yes. one is really having a hard time. And another one is just going so beautifully. I know some of that just comes with the territory, right? It's just part of this mm -hmm. uh, of, of this hobby. But um, mm -hmm. it, I do wonder if if that's some of what I'm seeing could be those plants that don't. There, there, there they, are complexities, right? There are complexities. So, for example, uh, 
the thing about water column dosing is that the, the, the elements that the plant get from the water column can be directly synthesized for growth in a quicker time than actually your elements from the root zone that takes time to actually travel up the plant. So certain elements uh, such as potassium, even for terrestrial plants, they have a preference for shoot uptake of potassium. So I would say that potassium is very effectively dosed in the water column. Uh, whereas, for example, when we talk about ammonia, it may not be something you want lingering in your water column in large amounts, but it buys with soy. So soy is the good place to provide it. And I think similarly, uh, many plants have preference for iron uptake at the roots or phosphorus uptake at the roots. Um, so for the plants that are, uh, have a bias towards shoot, up, shoot uptake of certain nutrients, then if you do a water column dose, uh, as the light comes on, <laughs> there's okay. a slight drop. But okay. I think that this is really a bit too much tweaking for most people. Right. Uh, that the average matters more than all this uh, for, for, for the like 99% of hobbies. Okay. I mean, at the end of the day, do your water change when it works for your lifestyle. Yes. And yes. it's it's not yeah. going to be that that big of a deal, as evidenced by my my doing them. Sometimes even yes. after the yeah. lights have gone off, I'll yeah. I'll yeah. set it very dim, but I'll keep it on because I'm trying to get to it. And it's mm. you yeah. know it went off at six p.m. It's now seven p.m. and I'm doing the water change. And generally things are fine, but you know again, mm. good to know what optimal is for sure. Is it true <laughs> that? Um, I had a, I, I didn't, this is one of those things I feel like I kind of made up uh, a long time okay. ago about aqua soil and the ammonia, because you've referenced mm -hmm. the uh, ammonia situation a few times yeah. in the conversation. But so we know that at least the original Amazonia, I think the newer ones is less so, but yeah. in the beginning, a lot of ammonia is coming from the soil. Um, yes. And I was under the impression that aquatic plants in general, uh, they that they I would just use the the very naive term I would say they like ammonia, <laughs> and that you were getting this oh, ammonia cool. shot from the soil that in a an, a that in an established aquarium that's been cycled etc. You yeah. know the processing of the ammonia such that the plants may never get such a large boost of ammonia again, and that uh -huh. perhaps that was part of the necessary startup phase for an aquascape with a soil this shot of ammonia that we were all trying to mitigate or or, or eliminate was yeah. by taking it away you were taking away an important part of mr amano's approach anyway of like okay. let's give them a big boost of ammonia that they'll may never get again no. to help no. jump start things any truth to that no uh so the amount of ammonia emitted by the old soil. It's far, it's excessive, it's toxic. Okay. I mean, essentially. Toxic, got so it. So I'll say that the tendency that you get stunted or you milk certain sensitive species is is higher than the, the amount of ammonia that plants require is, is very small. Okay. And you can get virtually all of it from your root penetration in uh, fresh aquatic soil. So you really don't have to have it in the water column. So you can do as much water column change as you want. So the, yeah. the high ammonia in the original aqua soil was something that yeah. was just it was just a symptom or a, a byproduct of the source material they were working with. I mean, Mr. Mono didn't, he wasn't pursuing yeah. this high ammonia. It was just a consequence of the product itself that because uh, no, he think, seemed to have that, so few yeah. problems that he, this toxicity, melting plants, all of this just seemed incredibly rare, which was another thing I attributed to, well, it must be some broader complexity of their water, etc. Oh, yeah. So, 
Because well, Mr. Mr. Mana was not going to tolerate this melting plants all the time. You know, he seemed the, to figure out how to not have that happen. Whereas I'm using aqua soil in the United States, and I'm just I'm, I'm being devastated by this uh, just the intensity of the soil for the first thirty days. Yeah. So there, there, there are a few angles to this. Um, one angle is that in Japan they do have very soft water. So with CO2 injection and whatnot, it is true that ammonia toxicity does decrease with lower pH ranges. So once you drop, especially the old aquasols that are extremely acidic around pH 5 or uh, 5 plus, virtually all your ammonia is in ammonium format, uh, which is much less toxic, uh, both to livestock and plants. That's, so that's one angle. The other is that uh, being a commercial gallery, the other people do water changes daily right. uh, for the fresh tanks. So, so that, that also... Apart. Which I did um, as well. I mean, I was—that's been part of our protocol forever, and what we teach and, people too is a daily, very frequent was, water change in the beginning. And, and when you do see the other layouts over time, they are actually very—they uh, do change out plants. Yeah. It's not that—it's a false assumption to assume that every, everything works out perfectly for every layout that they have done. I, I see more of that now than I think maybe Mr. Romano himself used to do. He might have been more inclined to just do a new layout mm. if, if too many changes were needed. But I've noticed even when, you know, in the ADA videos in the modern era, when they, they'll show it just after planting and they show it after three, four months, whatever, when they kind of see it as optimal. And uh, they'll even put a note sometimes uh, in the video that certain species were changed. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. And we probably see more of that because they show more of that sequence of the, the, the just after planting yeah. And then the kind of the completed vision, um, yes. and, but it's true. And enough, yeah. yeah, they do make changes. Uh, yeah, and another point to note is also I think that generally the other approach uses very sensible and hardy plants, the crypts and nuvias, your uh, java fern. Whereas if you put bucephalandra into an uncycled tank, the chance of it melting is much higher. Okay, so you feel like yeah. the, the boost in a boost in a new layout has a yeah. is. It's yes, one, if you're going to yeah. use it, maybe wait until yeah, things have yeah. settled down a little bit. Okay. Yeah. I've, yeah. I've noticed that, especially with the tissue yeah. culture boosts of philandra. Oh, yeah. Are, they're yeah. really melting. And I'm like, yes. boost melting? Like, yeah. what? This is crazy. But yeah. um, well, so it's an example of a plant that uh, has low demands in terms of everything, but it likes stable tanks. Sure. So that is the difficult angle to that. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, on that same note, do you do you have any particular insights? You know, I recently had uh, Lars from Tropica uh, was in the United States. He visited the uh, Aquarium Design Store, ADG Gallery, and so I got to ask him a lot of this burning questions that I have about his yeah. products and plants in general. And there were some things I just didn't get any kind of uh, satisfactory answer on. Okay. Okay. Uh, you know, one of which is like the uh, tissue culture plants in general, which I was a very you know or, or using them from the very beginning of their availability. And I developed yes. a, a real skepticism about them in the beginning because so okay. many were melting. I mean, the melt okay. was like a, every time I'm using a plant from one of those yeah. cups, I'm going, this just may or may not work. Uh, that's okay. just true in any new layout, I understand, of course, but with the tissue culture, particularly yeah, the early days, really, really bad. So yeah. now that uh, there's so many more species and, 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 and I, some of this I feel like has been sorted out, but do you have any insights on why if I've got, you know, five pots that appear to be from the same lot, they were grown, you know, at the same time. So I receive a shipment. Let's say I'm going to put five, five, six, seven pots of something 
in a new layout. And um, I'm actually experiencing this right now with Tissue Culture Monte Carlo. Okay. Uh, okay. Three, three pots worth totally melting. The yeah. other two okay. is just fine and yeah. growing so well. Okay. Uh, I mean, I have, a very, I have a very easy answer for that. Okay. Uh, the fact that they came in the same batch doesn't mean that they were manufactured in the same batch. Okay. Right. So three of them could have come from one batch. They put it in a box. But it's the end of a big lot. Then the other two came in. Sure. Um. Yeah. So I think that the age transport, uh, tissue cultures are sensitive, and different. TC labs have different uh, hardening procedures. Hardening is the procedure where they acclimatize the plant to uh, conditions that are more hostile than just the petri dish. So okay. they're supposed to expose them to drier conditions and such for the cuticle to develop little. Um, smaller producers sometimes scheme on that, or some species may be harder to, the time it takes uh, might be longer. Um, so the quality of TC, there is a, a lot of variation between brands Shipments. Yes. 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 Almost too. I mean, almost too much to be. Yeah. Consistent yeah. and reliable, and especially for a new, for the beginner to have this. You know, you bought ten pots of a tissue culture yeah. plant. Some of these can yes. be, you know, nine, ten, twelve, thirteen dollars per cup. Yeah. Um, and you know, to lose some good percentage of those due to. Yeah. Ex, you know, where there's not really an explanation for it, and no one's given. I've never really gotten an answer other than, "Well, they're different." Yeah. I mean, why would the same plant by the same manufacturer in different batches? Yeah. You know, yeah. the consistency exactly. is what I'm what I'm pointing and going. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that the the control measure is also difficult. Okay. Um, I think like for you, you your so your it's, shop, it's less conditions. You're saying it's less conditions oriented in the aquarium and more something natively in, 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 from production. I think there's a production angle. There's a shop angle where shops may not store it correctly or they mix different batches. So some batches are very fresh and some may have been sitting around a long time and the the customers cannot tell a, a bad batch. Yeah. Um, I think that for most tanks, if your tank is well cycled and biological sta bio biologically stable, your chances of succeeding with TC is much higher. Okay. But again, the, most people do not have the patience or time to let the layout to just sit there um, to mature before they plant. Okay, yeah. so w would you be more of an advocate then of, of maybe applying, you know, if you were going to have a more tissue culture species to yeah. add those <clears throat> later? Because, I mean, I teach the way of yes, yes, the yes. ADA yeah. way yeah. is always yeah. been, you know, you, you are trying to finish the layout before yes. there's even water and then yes. fill it and then you want to bring that aquascape into form and you're really not oh, uh, you're uh, not uh, adding things and two weeks later i'm going to add this you know let me get the charger for my device oh sure
Okay, you're back, man. Yeah, now I'm back in. Sorry, my phone died. Oh, no problem. No problem. Yes. Cool. Um, I I, pro I forgot a little bit where we left off, but it, it's no big deal. I'll just just edit that out. No, no big deal at all. Um, okay. So, but yeah, I did want to kind of just uh, uh, before we wrap it up, just switch gears just a little bit. Um, okay. And I'm curious, sort of outside the realm of, of dosing and your fantastic APT products, et cetera, just you as an Aquarist, as a uh, person who's been in the hobby a long time, and of course is intensely involved with uh, aquatic plants. Um, just what, what are your thoughts on the current state of sort of the contest scene or where, do you have any opinion on the influence, oh, oh, I should oh. say, the in, the, in, the yeah. broader influence yeah. of what we call a contest scape or the competitive uh, aquascaping scene. Okay. I I think that the IPLC had a lot more standard when Amano is around, was around. Right. Um, I think that it got a lot more chaotic uh, after he departed. Sure. Um, but with IPLC now comes a lot of um, other competitions as well. Uh, so like there's the the CIPS one, there's the Instar competition. Like IIAC and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Indo Indonesian I think that... Indonesian scene has, oh, yes, has co yes. quite a yeah. re uh, uh, quite a impressive list of their own contests yes. as well. Yeah. Yes. 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 Um, I think that the good thing about competitions is that they drum up interest in the hobby. Uh, the downside is that most of these are photography competition, uh, photography competitions with all the weaknesses of a photography competition because essentially you're not doing a tank that um, you're escaping for the camera, which is a very specific goal uh, with very specific lighting angles and in some cases uh, photo editing to achieve the effect. Um, so I think it also leads to maybe, I'm not sure that unrealistic expectation is the correct term to use, but um, composing a tank for a photograph can be quite different from uh, composing a tank that is meant to be viewed in the room. Right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it, I think it yeah. does it does tend to drive a little bit of a, some, the initial inspiration for a lot of uh, mm -hmm. newcomers, you know, beginners that I, you know, they're coming in and they're already wanting yeah. to get out yeah. the glue yeah. and, yeah. Uh, you know, with all of which is completely fine. It's just, uh, yeah. it's, I think it might be more of a perspective thing for people who've been in it a long time, who've, it's a mm -hmm. new, it's a new enough endeavor at all. Kind of the, let's just yeah. say the kind of the Amano approach to aquascaping, which I've always said is not, this is different from a fish tank with plants yes. in it, you know. Uh, you know, I, I, I love fancy goldfish. I know this may be cheesy in some kinds of ways. Where I love all aquarium styles. Uh, I'm not, I love aquascaping, but I also keep reef aquariums and hardscapes and, and cichlids and conceptual things and biotope and monster tank. And I mean, I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm into, that's why I wanted to call it the Aquarium Everything podcast so it could really be open mm -hmm. to indulge all styles. But of course, in freshwater, uh, at least in the the the, the market, uh, aquascaping is pretty clearly where where I always say where the action is right now. I mean, it's just yeah. where the the most people are going. Yeah. Wow, an aquarium 
like that yeah. would be so cool to have again. And yet yes. in an age where the predominantly your influence or inspiration is coming from scrolling on your phone, where, mm. you know, again, the image is very small. Uh, yeah. You know, it's been shrunken yes. down to fit, which you know how this changes, you know, the in-person thing down to the yeah. the small, yes. you, you reduce it to thumbnail size and, and even yeah. escape this yeah. pretty compromise. It's like, wow, that's looking pretty amazing on my phone, mm. right? So um, I guess my curiosity just comes from engaging with so many people coming into, you know, a store mm. environment who's been inspired or influenced by things they've seen on social media, online, on YouTube, et cetera. And a lot of the things that they're, if they've been doing any research at all beyond just, you know, passing interest, you know, they've come across sort of the, the really progressive contest type of layouts. And then now they're seeing how the, the contest techniques are finding mm. their way into even more mainstream oh, yes. aquascaping. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. There's so many of the, top uh indonesian guys for example who they've really been able to not unlike the brazilian style they've really been able to make an identifiable style to their region Mm. and their resources and i I think that's fascinating but you're trying to convey also that people you're not in that country you don't have necessarily have the same resources you're in the united states different resource pool Mm. and you may need to measure your expectations of what your layout can be based yeah, on things that are available to you. But then yeah. again, yeah, the, the the influence of the techniques, I think, is useful. But um, mm. I think a lot of us that's, that's watched it from the very early days can't help sometimes but go, you know, wow, like you say, post, post-Amano, it, it, it got a, things have gotten into a realm of hyper focus for the camera like like you were saying mm-hmm. and yeah. um i don't know i don't know right. there's not really a point to the question is more just to i just always have a curiosity what other people that have been around and that are in I, I, yeah, markets I like, you like yours something. too where there's a lot more resources and, and the hobby's much bigger there than it is in say the u.s mm. yeah i i think it's the instagram generation so this whole picture focus thing and now a tiktok uh, is you know where, where it's yeah, at now. It, it flows with the with the time. Um, like if you don't have a picture to show what you're doing, is it even real? Right. <laughs> right. Mm. Uh, but I think it's, it, yeah. I I, I I I want to look at the positive side of things. Sure. Uh, of of stuff like you have mentioned. Uh, you know, having individual characteristics to different areas, and I think that that is one thing that uh does separate. Or uh, there's the there's a merit that freshwater aquascaping have to differentiate itself from saltwater. Um, so like saltwater folks always say that oh we have more colors, more interesting creatures, you know stuff like that. Yeah, not so but, sure. <laughs> um, yeah, but we have aquascaping, and right. that is truly very different. Right. Um, the ability to create like environments. Uh, this art form. Uh. Uh, does differentiate itself very well from the the, the saltwater folks. Yeah, mm. truly. I, I'm always, you know, it's it's become a kind of a standard uh, reference now, but, you know, there's the number of our reef customers who come in and they're so intrigued mm. by aquascaping yes. uh, because yeah. they see, you know, they went to the reef side for the color and the the otherworldliness yeah. of it and um, all of that, 
but they, they see the depth and the sophistication yes. of yeah. aquascaping and they're very intrigued by it. And the number of them too, that say, well, I, you know, they've very successful growing SPS coral, et cetera. And, mm -hmm. but they tried their hand at a, you know, a carpet in a, in a mm -hmm. Iwagumi or something and they didn't pull it off, you know, even though now I always say the equipment is so simple. It hasn't even, it hasn't changed in 30 years, really. The, the, the fundamental system of aquascaping yeah. is yeah. very well established. Yeah. Whereas in a reef aquarium, oh my gosh, there's a new gadget every yes. day yeah. coming out, yeah. you know, new lighting, new this, new that, which is part of what drives that side of the industry. But um, yes, it's a very, it's just a point of interest for me. I'm always curious what, and it's a pretty consistent thing. I think we find that, uh, I think it's the over, sort of uh production of the layout for the camera for that final shot yeah. and yeah. Uh, i'm a huge advocate of requiring and, and we're actually playing with the idea of launching our own contest uh with a very very different set of uh category and a very different set of uh submission guidelines and mm -hmm. uh, and i would require a, a, a because in these days it's very doable in the old days not so much so but a short video clip yeah, so yeah, i want to yes. see some perspective yeah. i want to see a yeah. clip i want to see a little a little bit we don't need to go around but a little walk around and uh, because you've seen mm -hmm. some of these guys their contest setup you know is like is just on a plywood and a, a concrete oh, yes, box yes, yes. and is the yes, lights are yes. poorly hung. I mean, it's really, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a exactly. pretty uh, crude looking situation. That's, but that, you know, what's yeah. inside that rectangular frame is yes. the only uh, attention uh, uh, as it should be. Yes. I, we wouldn't be judging on your broader system. You wouldn't even have mm. to show that, but a I want to see the fish swim. Uh, you yeah, know, I want to yeah. see a little yeah. bit of this, the reality of it because i've had more than yeah. one occasion and i wonder if, if you've ever noticed this mm -hmm. where you see a video of a mm -hmm. contest tank or sometimes ada would have a a top placing person shoot a video after the contest and they'll be yeah. doing it from in front of the tank and yeah you're seeing it in person is looking kind of weird yeah. sometimes i'm sort of like yeah, yeah. I, and i go back I to the photo i'm like wow that was amazing and i'm looking at the video i'm like it looks a little weird you know um, yeah, I, I've seen uh, many of these things in in person, and I've seen those videos as well. Right. Uh, and it's true, a lot of the tanks are either poorly maintained or they they really work for only one angle. Yeah. So you feel a bit cheated if you see the real stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Which is it's all fine. A contest is what it is, and things evolve and become yeah. categorically kind of their own thing. I, I'm totally cool with that. I just I'm sort of longing for. A, a, an alternative sort of presentation mm. mode, which yes. is what the contests yeah. have sort of become, um, yes. that anybody could submit to. And you're attempting, let's just say, a higher caliber work. You're attempting, mm. you know, it's just not just yeah. everybody showing their plant. That's what you do on your own Instagram page. So some kind of format, and there is some sort of uh, sense of, you know, people, credible people choosing the most extraordinary mm. works. Uh, mm -hmm. But I would just, I'm really dying to see more than just the Amano photograph, yes. you know, format uh, in there because mm -hmm. it just lends itself to too many technique things that I think are just a little yes. Yes. outside the boundaries, you know. I always notice yeah. too, having gone to some nature aquarium parties and when 
sitting in the big auditorium there when they would do the, uh, you know, the official yeah. unveiling of the contests and stuff. And they would have the, you know, Mr. Mono would always be just one of the judges, which I always thought was funny. I was like, no, Mr. Mono should be the judge, but whatever. But, um, <laughs> but they would go down and you would often get some commentary there from each judge. Um, yes. And I always thought it was interesting. Mr. Mono's favorite tank was almost never the winning one. It was usually further down the line. And that okay. he made it pretty clear, too, that if you read between the lines, you could see he wasn't a fan of the sort of over overwrought uh, sort of yeah. this intense yeah. intensified hardscape yeah. thing yeah. uh which yeah. with a lot of you know ricardia and mosses and yeah. some mm. uh Fida, hygrophila here and there um he, he didn't he obviously he he passed before that really got its moment the momentum it has now but mm. even in the the first presentations of that i i did i always noted that it, it it didn't strike his fancy anyway, which is fine. Again, yeah. we don't. We need to evolve everything. I totally agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel like maybe yeah. it's become a little bit stagnated, perhaps like a little bit? Like right now, I'm seeing everything is a shadowy, dark, ah, deep, ah, d- the ah. deep forest with a, with a with a scene in the background yeah. of little trees. Uh, yeah, it's just a recurring theme at this point. I think the recurring themes get copied because. Um, that's the easiest. Uh, the copy is the easiest way to get a high level work without having to think up the subject matter from scratch. Sure. Um, I always wondered the analogy I, probably yeah. doesn't hold up, but if you were a, a race a race car team, uh, and your race you know, and so you're and you are consistently beat by another team, you know, you're mm. trying to look to what they do to win. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're going, well, what are they doing? What's their suspension? What's their, what are they doing with, you know, how can we get some of what they got? Yeah. The yes. problem is when you do that with creative endeavors, it, it, there's a certain mm-hmm. monotony that becomes uh, part yeah. of it. So, yeah. yeah. So I do think that while competition encourages, you know, basically people to produce more works, the downside is that people also try to game the competition. Right. Um, I think that Amano was truly, you know, the nature style skipper where the natural naturalistic aesthetic I think was the feel of the nature was very, very important to him. Um, whereas the diorama works, um, those with very pinpoint precision, like you say, the little trees in the background lined up perfectly, then those will always seem a bit uh, artificial at some level. Right. And so yeah. I, I find it interesting that, you know, when I, when I ask this question of, kind of colleagues or people that are, they've been, they're in the industry, they've been in it a long time, et cetera. You know, the takeaway is that they're not, they're seeing sort of a, a lack of, of, of things evolving, or again, kind of the reference to what's, what won last year is what I should do this year if I want to win. And mm. these little details that are almost, it's not a, we're not, it's not a making a mockery of it or anything, but, you know, there's a little bit of a sense of, you know, Come on, can't we? We can do better than that, right? Or like, I, there's little trees I, in the but, back. We're starting to make fun of it now, and at the, and I'm kind of going. Yeah. So why is that still going on? You know, but uh, I I have a very uh, pointed comment about this, um, and my comment is that the reason why we see so many of this is that the judging panels are not of very good quality, right. and therefore they I have agree. failed to find the truly defining works. 
and they go back to what they think that uh, Thank you know you. this. Yeah, yeah I, I yeah. agree with that. It, uh, it's, so, it seems yeah. random. I, I I think it was a tweet from a while back that I remember uh, reading of yours. And, where, where you kind yeah. of pointed to this situation and sometimes yeah. it's a commercial interests and you know who gets to be on the judging panel is oh, yeah. uh, not necessarily and, representative yes. and and I know that this sentiment is shared by a lot of the truly great keepers. right it is that's uh, my point uh, we, that's a shared view and yet I'm going and yet I keep seeing yeah. kind of the same thing happening and yes. um, when it's such a great format for the possibility of true, truly pushing the limits or evolving it or um but no that's a that is i forget about that sometimes you're absolutely right i think it gets down i mean some somebody is continuously rewarding the yeah. sameness yeah. factor um yeah. and and if you have a judge i mean ultimately this has to lie sort of in the hands of that panel so that that makes that makes a lot of sense actually yeah. um so, so if you scrutinize the world I think that, uh, I mean, at least for me, uh, I find interesting works, but they are not in the top 10 or top 20 sometimes. Always. My favorites are always yeah. down the line quite a ways. Yeah. Um, and I understand the complexity of trying, how does one actually rank objectively, you know, over a yeah. thousand yeah. entries? And, yeah. And if you think about it, if you penalize, um, if you choose the standard template, what you're also doing is you're actually penalizing creativity. Right. Yes. Right. So being a bad judge, uh, is doubly bad because of that. Because not only are you showing the same stuff year after year, but the good stuff, uh, the people that produce the creative or new stuff, they get discouraged. Well, it, perhaps the solution to this is just to, well, if you don't like it, go make your own. And uh, maybe you've given me another layer of encouragement to maybe do our own yeah. contest and, and set things yeah. up a little differently. And um, I would certainly be inviting you to be on our on our judging panel Dennis that's that's for sure um, so in, in somewhat relation to that I did have one other question and again some of this stuff I'm just indulging my own curiosities here so if it All right, comes right. off as uninteresting to an audience I, I apologize but um, you know I'm someone who has long held a, a just a, a, a profound you know appreciation and a reverence for, for Mr. Amano for the ADA brand at least in terms of its history and kind of that it gave us what a product range to support aquascaping would look like from which we could grow um and so because we can trace all the origins to pretty much one single individual mr mono mm, um yes. i'm always fascinated by others who you know knew him or were active in his era and etc uh what your sort of perception or vision or opinion just what your opinion is even of of the brand itself being such a, a cornerstone brand in, in the in the hobby and industry uh in the post mono era uh just what you sort of see or feel from the brand as they continue without his uh massive influence i i felt that the the i mean the great thing about uh, the brand was that I think that Amano truly managed to achieve his vision, like um, the sense of nature and aesthetic. Uh, and I think that that's why Ada did well and uh, why he contributed so much to the, to the hobby. I think the downside of it, and maybe partly because it was a Japanese company, is that I think that after he departed, there was a vacuum of for who should be the 
some kind should be the next like kind of art director right other so if you ask me like uh which scapers do i associate with ada now that amano has passed on i can't name of like three very influent uh people that i look up to in terms of what they produce and say that oh yeah uh, now Ada continues, you know, because of uh, the work we do. Would, would Yasuki Homa be one of one of those that you would count on that list? Is he? I consider him pretty influential guy. Also, I I know him by reputation, but I'm not such a big fan of his work. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, I, I mean, if you ask me honestly, I'll say that it's a far cry from Amano, unfortunately. <laughs> um, it's true. Yeah. So, uh, and uh, again, unfortunately, uh, everyone will be measured against the yardstick of that legacy. Yeah. So I think it's not easy being in this position or for anyone to uh, carry on the the reins of the company. Right. Um, Such an interesting yeah. position for them to be in, you know, and yeah. it just as kind of the yeah, brand but, that, at least if yes. we've, you've been in it a while, that you look to for yes. the next thing. Um, yes, yeah. uh, I... To see these I guys that, that have taken it some somewhere, they've continued the mm. they've continued on. But man, what a challenging situation! And I, I guess I'm just sort of fascinated by others' perceptions of sort of. How I, I, I feel out. that I feel that Amano uh, uh, he overshadowed or dominated uh, a bit too much when he was present as well. Sure. Uh, when when he could have groomed a younger team. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah, I feel that. I, uh, all the other skippers were thrown into this when uh, Amano passed. It was like quite a sudden thing. And, uh, right. They weren't yeah. really... Pre- the company was just pre- proceeding on a yeah. trajectory it had yeah. from the early days. And um, yeah. which that, that yeah. raises an interesting point for me, just if I kind of introspect right away when you said that, that um, I've probably done a similar thing, at least in terms of the gallery and, and sort of what, what we're doing in there, just because... I've always done it, and so, and really, just in the past few years, you know, I've I've got guys on the team now that are uh, very mm-hmm. capable aquascapers. Uh, you know, Corey Hopkins being one of them. Um, we have another another uh, young guy with us, uh, Austin Kwan, who's I think he's I think he's going to be really up and coming. Very passionate guy, uh, very humble. Not you know promoting himself like some. Uh, high-minded scaper who works at aquarium design group or whatever on social media etc um and yeah this idea you just kind of gave me a another nudge in that direction of kind of sharing that and and letting these guys have a a, a foundation or an environment yeah. To, yeah. to develop and not this overshadowing thing just because you know, we were all doing it in 2002 or something. And so <laughs> before social media, before you know, so much has changed and have kind of been there from the beginning. Sometimes you do get stuck in your old patterns. So that, that definitely gives me something to kind of consider is I think you make a really valid point that, you know, the level of uh, it, just from getting to know Mr. Mono personally, it was, I didn't, I noted that about his overall sort of presence in the context yeah, of the yeah. brand. It was, you know, he was the president and it was, he was a pretty firm guy in terms of how he ran things, what he wanted, which like you say, the success was in fulfilling the vision. You know, I mean, he really, I think he really did get pretty close, if not on, on target, which is so challenging for any brand. 
uh, to kind of yeah. fulfill the, the vision. And then just the, the, uh, the there was a, just a certain justice in him being able to complete the big uh, installation oh, yeah. there in Portugal literally just you know weeks before his passing you know to finally yeah. to, to finish off with such a sort of a crown jewel uh was mm. uh it was justice anyway on some kind of level if he had to be taken from us you mm. know early like like he was you know but um mm. yeah very very interesting very interesting points well dennis we've gone a little over my original time i had planned but it's just been really fascinating man um I've learned, I've learned a lot, seriously, uh, an area I've needed a lot more uh, engagement and kind of just needed to really deep dive into some of the numbers and the philosophies. And um, just to circle back and say, man, I'm, I, I'm, I really am so impressed by the Two Hour Aquarius line. Your, the website at twohouraquarius.com is um, – it is a go-to reference for us. It is literally the only, you know, so we get to customers all the time that after some consultation or, you know, engagement with us in the store, uh, they're asking, is there, what re is there any resources or online, a website? And we exclusively, I mean, we don't, there isn't a second one. Uh, the two-hour Aquarius site is one that we send everybody to. Uh, the Your overall philosophy and principles are right in line with, with what with what we do there's real there's nothing on there that we sort of di disagree with in other words it's a really nice uh alignment of what you're saying the techniques you're touting uh the th presentation of the numbers and the science side is very easy to understand is it's as deep as you if you want to go deeper it's there but if you just need to understand the basics it's there and um, I just think it's so important. There's so, there's still so little of that out there. Honestly, it's either um, sort of the same video about we're going to put in the soil and then the hardscape yeah. and then put the plants yeah. in with the tweezers and then fill it up and then some time passes and you know uh, to where I kind of go. I don't know how much more of that we really need on a YouTube of the how to make an aquascape. Uh, mm. that's well served is what I'm saying. And what you're bringing to me is a really vital area, very important. And from a, the standpoint of a retail store who's trying to focus on aquascaping, uh, these are really super valuable tools. And I just, I can't uh, express my gratitude enough for uh, the work that you've done and the, just the fine tuned nature of the of the products themselves I, I say they're the right tool for the job and uh i'm something i'm in relentless pursuit of so uh thanks very much dennis for being with me here on the uh inaugural uh aquarium everything podcast uh it's been great thanks for all you do and uh hope to speak to you again okay thanks jeff thanks for inviting me and it was a pleasure talking to you as well thank you man yes yeah. great thank you uh, we can have future sessions um we have more projects coming up in the two hour queries uh some of them may allow further collaboration with uh retailers like yourself yes uh yeah uh, when we de develop those ideas further we are definitely let you know as well mm. And we are also starting uh, restarting uh, our video filming. I departed from that because it requires a lot of time. 
But um, I think that like a, a segment of people that don't read websites and they only look to YouTube for instruction. So I feel like we have to fulfill, like translate the information into videos for that group of people. Right. To reach that group of people. Yeah. So that is the other thing that we are aiming to do. The, the idea of going to a website to get information is becoming somewhat, it's less common these days. People are, yeah. their first yeah. stop People is a like YouTube, social media. Yes. Um, I would encourage yes. you to, on that note, uh, side note, to consider also, not exclusively, but also considering uh, Rumble. I don't know if you're familiar with Rumble. Many people have not heard of Rumble. Now, Rumble is a really up-and-coming competitor to YouTube. Um, Oh, really? Yeah, and it's growing quite rapidly, uh, which I've also heard people that's in tech uh, tell me, well, you'll never beat YouTube because they have control of all the servers and all this kind of technical stuff. But um, it is a really growing uh, video platform. Um, okay. And many of the YouTubers are moving over there, but you know they compensate the creators better, all this kind of stuff. But I've okay. just been trying to spread the word uh, that there is a emerging and, and it's getting some real momentum uh, in terms of an alternative or a, a another destination for video content. Uh, check out mm-hmm. Rumble. But um, yeah. one other question, I may just edit it back in at a different point in the podcast okay. that, that I did want to that would be. Yeah upset if I didn't ask you about was just the the APTF product. Oh, um, yeah. Yes. And is it is this exclusively designed to be dosed or used, let's say, directly on a hardscape in the way that we would have traditionally used like hydrogen peroxide or... Um, yeah, you can use it that way. Okay. But is it does it have any application for algae treatment just putting it directly in the water column. I think that in higher concentrations, and some of our um, customers have tried that. Um, the thing that I don't like about that approach is that you tend to use a lot more of the product, which is not good for the livestock and I've your that. Like, yeah. the microbiology of the tank. So we always advocate spot dosing. Um, can you get it on um, the when you say spot dose? Is that with the plant exposed to air, water drained down? No, no, okay. uh, um, in 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 tank. So in tank. So I think I'm just going to get as close as I can to the algae and yes. the leaf yes. in the water yes. and kind of give it a blast. Yes. Like if yes. I was target feeding a coral or something like this, I'm going to get in yes. there and go, you know, kind of like right on it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It, would that be the oh, primary yeah. application? That you developed it oh, for? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, That's why all, all of our products come with that little dropper. So to make it easy for people to squirt the, right. the spot directly. Okay. Yeah. Because, yeah, in, in, in this way, it's unlikely to negatively affect the, the plant or the oh, leaf yes. itself. Yeah. But if So you... I've, I've used yeah I've used it on like CRS tanks and the streams are fine. So even for a bit more sensitive livestock, uh, the spot dosing method works. Okay. Well. So just recently I used it because I had tried, I'd used peroxide and it didn't work as well as it sometimes does. It was on a Frodo, Frodo stone. Um, okay. You know this Frodo stone from Adam Piscala yes. and Poland, right? So, uh, which it, it tends to, it has a very strong capacity to, to get like discolored. I mean, different water chemistries and lights and algaes get in there. Okay. This 
harder to get off like with a brush or wire brush. Mm. So mm. especially in a new layout, it gets its first kind of patina of algae. And sometimes it's mm. really though, it's completely green, you know, and it's very embedded. <laughs> and the hydrogen peroxide didn't work. But what I ended up doing was mm -hmm. using the APTF. And, but this yes. is a quite a, this is a whole, the whole mid ground of the tank is a rock structure. So there's a lot of rock in there. Yeah. And so yeah. to go with the water down as low as I could get it, and I haven't, yes. it's so new there's not fish in it yet, except for uh, algae eating shrimp, OCATs, and some Siamese algae eater. But I had to use quite a bit of product, even though I'm using a milliliter dropper, and I'm just mm. making sure I get a light, you know, uh, uh, covering yeah. on the rocks. Now it's super yeah. effective. 48 hours yes. is like a brand new rocks. Um, yes. Yes. But yes. I did lose some livestock as a result mm -hmm. uh, because I've probably uh, got a yeah. lot of product in there. Then I filled the tank up. It would it maybe be oh, a good so, idea so, when you yeah. fill to maybe drain it and fill it one more time to dilute it or flush yes. it out? Yes. yes. Okay. So that will, so you can, yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So this yeah. kind of approach of like, if I have a lot of hardscape that needs an algae treatment, mm. is it... Because it works much better, let's say, than a peroxide does. Uh, you can use a spray bottle as well. Okay. If so a little bit, if work. the plant, like if there's a area of moss growing on a rock, and this rock needs a treatment, uh, oh, so, yeah, we want to so, keep it so off of very, the moss. Yes, because for the, this algae side is a bit more strong, so it affects the moss. But we are coming up with one that you can actually use on moss. Okay. So that oh, we are wow. we are producing. Uh, another a version of fix uh for delicate plants and stuff wow you know wow okay yeah I'm, i look forward to that because th this kinds of uh ongoing maintenance techniques and practices and the products we use for it is you know is yeah. just really important part of the program so mm -hmm. that's great because i i do sometimes struggle especially if there's already livestock in the tank you know you mm. just want to be so cautious or if you're prescribing oh, yeah. it to a customer who doesn't have yes. a lot of experience with these things, uh, yes. you know, making sure they yeah. understand and get it right. So, um, yes, we are coming out with a version that uh, I'll say that is nearly as effective, uh, especially on filamentous algae um, for mosses and more delicate stuff. And that it has, um, it is less uh, damaging to both livestock and plants as a whole. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Very much look forward to that, as I do to any new uh, to our Aquarius products, because they're just, uh, just they've just all been they're all they've all been a home run, man. I, I really mean that, and uh, it's why I was just super excited to have you as as our uh, first guest on the podcast. Um, so, again, Dennis, thank you so much, man. Fantastic conversation, very informational, and um, I just look forward to talking to you again in the future. All right, we, we get a reach again. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. <laughs> My pleasure, man. My pleasure. Thank you. So, Dennis, uh, okay. just wait a little bit. I don't know if it has it on your screen or it says uploading. Uh, but oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah so I, after I'm gonna I'm gonna stop the recording, um, and it'll just until we gotta wait till it goes to 100. All right. Okay. Okay.